Delighted to be in conversation now with Dr. Aaron Han. He is a physician in the lab at King's Hospital London here in Dubai, and he also oversees the infection control activities. He's got a PhD in microbiology and immunology and was part of the Mohammed bin Rashid University trials that performed that study on COVID testing from saliva samples. So who better to speak to about the current COVID situation and perhaps what the future holds as well? Um, Dr. Aaron this year must have been absolutely fascinating for you on a professional level. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing. Thanks, Helen, and thanks for the kind introduction. It's uh, truly been an incredible year for a long time. The medical community, the public health community has been aware that we're overdue for a global pandemic, global epidemic. So we thought, you know, SARS, MERS, Ebola, these were just warnings. And then the real thing came around. And it's an exciting time because much of the uh, public health, the medical infrastructure has focused its attention and its rapid progress is a testament to the medical infrastructure, the countries that have been um, open with sharing information. So at the end of 2019, we started hearing about these cases. And I remember in January of that year, I messaged one of my close friends in infection control and said, are you tracking this strange acute respiratory syndrome in Wuhan, China? And she said, oh, I'll start tracking it. And that was kind of the beginning. And I remember in most of the uh, January, February, when is the typical time for Arab Health and MedLab. And obviously this year, the live event will take place in June in Dubai. But usually Arab Health also coincides with Chinese New Year. So my story, actually, there's a lot of overlap. So I was flying my favorite Emirate, uh, favorite airlines. And everyone knows that uh, this airline flies incredible planes. And I usually visit my mother over Chinese New Year, and it's a great 380 experience. So during Chinese New Year, we started to have the initial tracking in Taiwan. So amazingly, before anybody else was putting on masks, some of the countries were starting to really pick up and focus on travelers from certain locations, Mm -hmm. decreased numbers. We were wearing masks in Taipei. We're getting twice daily temperature checks. And I remember coming back, flying back into Dubai airport, going to Arab Health that year. And I took a picture with one of the senior administrators I was the only one wearing the mask. And I remember this so clearly, you know, back then. I remember going to a concert and the woman behind me wearing a mask and me going, overreaction much. (laughs) You know, fast forward a few months and it's it's became very much the norm. And I think that, you know, to have those markers such as Chinese New Year, such as Arab Health, you know, we can draw these direct comparisons because, you know, it's been over a year now since, I mean, longer for you since we first heard that term coronavirus. And none of us could have ever ever predicted what the coming you know months and now we're into the year markers would have uh, would have would have held did you have any kind of professional predictions back then fears and thoughts that you were sharing with your own medical community and your and your peers and even friends that's a great uh, question so the uh, 
genetics of the coronavirus came out by January, February, and obviously uh, we started doing PCR testing at first in the central laboratories, and then later on they were distributed. This is a great sign of uh, PPP, public-private partnerships. So obviously in UAE, the DHA, Saha was very much at the center of this, the Dubai Central Command and SEMA. And there's a lot of focus on how do we manage this new uh, condition, COVID-19. Very soon, everyone knew about PCR. Today, you know, my 93-year-old father, father-in-law talks about PCR. Virtually everybody wants to know, what's my CT value? Not just if it's positive or negative. So going back, and I think one of your uh, editors talked about how it was like building an airplane while we had to fly it. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense, and we'll stay with that analogy, that you know we, we can't just sit around. We have to put some framework. We have to go with what we know and walking into the unknown. So we knew about common coronaviruses, and there's typically four, and there's, they circulate almost every season. So we also knew that uh, antibody and protective antibody to these coronaviruses in general tend to be short-lived. Mm-hmm. What we didn't know was how this specific corona was gonna play out. We uh, very soon found out the biology, we, the clinical presentation. We could identify and stratify patients, get people the appropriate treatment. We realized that even though the corona attacks the body, a lot of the illness actually is the body responding, mounting an immune response causing severe symptoms. So many of those lessons we learned along the way. And that's exactly uh, and it, kind of doing it on the fly. And we're still, there are still so many unanswered questions. We're going to be talking about lo- long COVID during this episode as well. Exactly. Um, and in terms of vaccines, you know, still so much data um, being collected around, you know, vaccination timing, vaccination combination. Um, and it's people such as yourself who, as you say, you know, trying to fly the plane while, while building it, you know, trying to collect all this information while still being dynamic and taking the action and trying to answer questions at the public have because I think the the psychology of it has been so challenging for so many people around the anxiety and fear. Um and I just wanted to ask you, Doctor, as well, before before I get onto some of my questions about how COVID has spread, were you affected yourself by COVID nineteen personally at all? Anyone in your family? Uh Thanks for asking that. So uh, my mother lives in Taiwan, and thus far through the first phase, Taiwan has had an incredible record. Obviously, their challenge now is with a new cluster, how do they exit? Mm -hmm. And most countries realize they have to have a herd immunity vaccine strategy to exit. I've had other family members uh, affected by COVID. Fortunately, they have not been had, uh, they were not hospitalized, so they had the mild form of the disease. Uh, I myself have been very fortunate in the UAE. We have a very robust program. I've been tested 15, 16 times. (laughs) I've had the Sinopharm. You know, once the Sinopharm was available, the vaccines were available. I was there. I was at the Seha Clinic getting my jab because I, I knew that this country did the studies. They were part of the original Sinopharm. Uh, tests and the trials in Abu Dhabi. Um, Dubai has focused uh, first with the Pfizer, which is an excellent platform, uh, great data. And now there's close to 2 billion doses of vaccines delivered worldwide. Mm -hmm, The numbers are very good. 
And, you know, people are hesitant about vaccines, but the data is there. And if you look at the numbers, it's not the science. I think it's the concern about, you know, do I trust the people who did the studies? Do I trust that there's not some conspiracy? Am I going to become infertile? That comes up a lot. And when I'm cheeky, I usually say, if you don't get vaccinated, you might die. But if you get vaccinated, it's highly unlikely that your eggs will die. Your ovaries are going to be just fine. So usually I, I tell people that. So uh, Knockwood, you know, I've been COVID free. I have the vaccine. Uh, likely most of us will get some type of a booster in the coming season. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of what we have to do to ensure public safety and the health of the population. And I think you're so right about us being here in the UAE. You know, we look back at that time where we were applying for permits to go to the supermarket and that happened so fast. You know, we looked around in other parts of the world and thought, I think you guys need to play catch up here because we're on lockdown and for very, very good reason. So we had that amazing response when it came to those smart passes to incredible communication. And then, as you say, that, you know, really early rollout of the vaccine. I was the same. January came. I was straight down to the clinic there yeah. with, with my sign of arm. And I, th I think for many people, the relief of having that vaccine really marked a, a serious turning point in their mental health, as well as their kind of confidence about moving around the world. Um, in you know being in the world, whether that's going to the supermarket or, or traveling, as we're lucky enough to be able to, to do to certain places right now. I wanted to kind of come to some questions that have been on my mind, if you if you don't sure. mind, over the course of, of the last year. And that's more to do with, as you call it, kind of the biology of the disease and how it spreads. Because we've all seen the movie Contagion. We we've seen those shots of you know someone holding a, a rail on a on a train and then someone putting a tray down and and how it, it spreads like that. But what about these really remote parts of the world where, you know, even in you know, the deepest, darkest parts of the Amazon, there have been recorded cases. What does the science say about exactly how contagious COVID-19 is? That's a great question. So th this has been a global phenomenon. Um, during the different peaks of the disease, we've seen different countries have uh, fairly different shapes of the curve. So in the second or third wave, we're seeing spikes in other countries. I think the data shows currently the spread is mitigated by herd immunity. And pretty much the number is around what was the original estimate, around 75%. So when you have a combination of the immunized population, plus those that have recovered, reaching about 75 to 80%, you can get some control. And obviously, UAE is at the forefront. We're about 1.2 doses per person at this point, 122. We've surpassed our neighboring country in that regard. But when you look at the vaccination rate, that really is a very good indicator of control. Now, we're not talking about eradication. Eradication is probably farther down the line. It may come. But with vaccination, we have a semblance of control. We can give people hope. The connectedness of the world, we've seen that because of air travel. As long as there's some leakiness, the primary mode of spread, obviously, is aerosol. Mm -hmm. But the virus can be virtually in any part of the body that has the receptors primarily in the respiratory tract, but we've seen COVID skin disease. So that's a significant manifestation, especially in the young population. So that's well uh, described by some of our colleagues in Boston. Actually, uh, one of the doctors gave a talk. And so there's a lot of different ways, but primarily 
aerosol, primarily close contact. And when you have outdoor events with good air circulation, with social distance, you mitigate the risk of spreading. So when you have close contact, close quarters, indoors, and that's why generally on airplanes, it's it's fairly safe because of air circulation. Mm-hmm. And we obviously encourage, we're very lucky, as I said, that we've had some great regulation changes, guidelines changing to allow events um, to be happening. But yeah, uh, we will always encourage people to wear their mask and maintain that social distancing wherever sure. wherever you are. Um, Dr. Aaron Han, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this because something that's been really grabbing headlines are the different strains, the different variants. There was a Brazilian strain the Indian strain now has been popping up in even you know rural parts of the UK and that must be fascinating to you professionally but it's incredibly scary I think for the public what do we know about how these strains mutate and how we both as a community but also the, the medical industry can respond to them and react appropriately yeah that's a great question and I think that's you know obviously of concern and some of these variants are uh, differently named some are more concerning, some are just of interest. So when the coronavirus, the first wave came around, there was always the concern that we would go through the second peak that we did with the Spanish flu. And the Spanish flu was almost 100 years ago Mm -hmm. and the last large uh, global pandemic. And obviously, uh, when you look at the history of how we responded, there was concern. And so the public health community, the medical community said, let's not let our guard down. Even when we get through the first wave, there could be a second wave. And so we were we were prepared and viruses, bacteria, all these infectious agents, they mutate. And generally, uh, protective immunity can cross-protect against other strains. But occasionally the mutation will escape the the herd or they will be much more infectious or occasionally a mutation will be uh, much more uh, lethal. Mm -hmm. And again, the key will be if we can treat and decrease the pool in the population, it's often referred to as the R0 number, the replication rate, as well as the prevalence rate. You want to keep that number low. So the spread of the disease is kept low and the percent of the population that is infectious and carrying. And you want to make sure that your vaccines are efficacious. So in the UAE, again, we've been tracking this. The MBRU has been um, in the center of this. You know, we've been um, chaired by Dr. Amr Sharif, who's the chair of the Central Command. And we've been typing the variants so we know kind of what variants are in the community, what to be aware of. There's also some emerging literature on variants that escape certain vaccine types. So there are some early data that suggest certain variants are less protected by certain types of vaccine. But by and large, uh, we, we have the data and, you know, we're tracking it and it's a public health epidemiology issue. And so we'll always have the risk of a new variant coming out. Mm-hmm. We may miss a variant occasionally. We may mispredict uh, generally, for example, in flu vaccines, we're very good in predicting the strain for that season. But occasionally we, we may make that guesstimate wrong. 
Dr. Han, I'm, I'm one of the kind of the hot topics at the moment, apart from what are you doing in the summer, which seems to be the question that everybody's asking, is about antibody testing. And I'm curious sure. as immunologist to get your take on this. Can having that knowledge be useful? Does, you know, I, I had mine done last week because I'm naturally a very nosy person as a journalist. I was like, I'm curious to, to, to get the data on this. And as I said, I had Sinopharm back in January and it came back that I have got 2.36 antibodies. I am young-ish. I am healthy-ish, um, which kind of leads to that question about what do I do now? Do you think that it's useful to have our antibody tested and have that data, even when we're feeling well? Or should this be something that we put aside, safe in the knowledge that we have been vaccinated and that we are protected to some level? That's a great question, and it's increasingly being asked. There's some formal statements from DHA as well as Abu Dhabi, as well as the um, U.S. CDC on the usefulness of antibody testing. Um, I also represent the College of American Pathologists, and we have also a statement on the utility. So it's a difficult question to answer. So if we go back in terms of medical certainty, the PCR test is a great test, but it's not 100%. You can miss people, you can have false positives and false negatives. The antibody tests, we're not even talking about something that is 95% for any given individual. So antibody tests, when you do it on a population basis, it gives you an idea of the people that probably have been infected. And that's probably a better estimate. So from an epidemiology, mm-hmm. epidemiological tool, it's great. When you look at some of the early vaccine studies, most of them report also antibody response. Now, here's the issue. Uh, when you look at the clinical efficacy of a vaccine, and I'm sorry, this, this is possibly too much detail. <laughs> I'll stop when you. you. <laughs> the clinical efficacy, you can say, well, in our population, let's say we have 90% vaccinated. We know 60 or 70% have antibodies. We know probably another 20 or 30% or more may have cellular immunity. So mm-hmm. T cells actually are a big part of clearing viruses. So likely there are people that don't make antibodies, but make T cell. The other caveat to the antibodies, and this is really an important nuance, and we had this in our early discussion, is because really you can make an antibody and you can make an antibody even to the spike protein, but we don't know if that spike protein antibody that you make actually neutralizes or kills viruses. And at the outset of the um, pandemic, there are very few labs that could actually do the direct viral assay for antibodies. That's usually referred to as a neutralization assay. So that's really the gold standard. So that's really, and a few labs have made that correlation. So that's the best. So typically I tell people, if you wanna know your antibodies, we can do and give you a number. It's usually gonna be, a, you, if you have antibodies, it's a multiple, multiple of normal range. And probably over time, you wanna know How long does that persist? Mm -hmm. Because that's an important number. But to be honest, if you push me, does that mean your antibodies are protective? Can't guarantee it. But the good news is you're making antibodies, and that's a good sign. And if you're not making antibodies, there are some uh, lab test providers that are coming out with the uh, T-cell assay that's soon to come on the market. So from an official standpoint, we can't tell you for sure. But I think it gives people a bit of control and hope and additional 
data. So the original thinking of having a COVID uh, travel passport has your vaccination status, antibody status. We're not not quite there. It's such an interesting time and this conversation will no doubt continue as the technology evolves and the data is, is released. I think a booster is very much in the future, but this is where I ask you to get your crystal ball out, if you don't mind, Dr. Aaron Hannan, and tell us, sure. where do you think we're going to be in a year's time? Will we be still wearing masks? Will we still be reporting the COVID numbers on the news every day? Where do you see us in 2022? Uh, hopefully in 2022, again, we'll probably have control. Most of our curves are trending downwards, even the ones with a big second spike. Uh, obviously, people have paid a lot of attention to the recent C- CDC announcement in USA where basically masks are not federally mandated, mm-hmm. but it's up to individual establishment, individual jurisdiction. I think masks will stay with us for a while. I think you look at this last influenza season, we used to test for influenza. We hardly test for influenza. We don't see influenza. Is that a good thing? I think that's a good thing. So we'll see. Um, and you know, maybe you'll make a 1038 mask that will be very popular. <laughs> I think you want to get that out to your audience. Uh, they're, right they're, I'm sure there will be Arab health masks at the event. It's so. a fashion statement. So this this airplane, yeah. it will land and it will be a smooth landing. And, you know, I point to, um, again, the analogy. We've had wonderful people at the helm in Dubai. One of the gentlemen was Dr. Isa Kazim. When I started my practice, he was in charge of what was DHA then. So he's very much in the war room. You know, one of the key metrics is death to COVID. And that can vary from country to country. And and so the numbers and statistics can look different. The other hero, I call them the, the sullies of this pandemic, they're going to land the airplane for us. Fauci's the other one. When I was a grad student almost 30 years ago, he was making his name in HIV. He's 80 years old. He just stopped running marathons. These guys are going to help us land this airplane. Trust me. Love this light at the end of the tunnel and uh, a smooth landing. We hope, Dr. Aaron Hunt, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your insights and uh, certainly a conversation we've been having for a long time, but I am glad it is people like you and your colleagues who are at the helm doing the research, doing the work and keeping the conversation going. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Cheers.